On today's episode of Gathering the Kings. What are you looking for? What do you want out of this potential opportunity? What are you trying to build or grow? Who has the answers to help you get there? And I'm a big believer that any truly successful entrepreneur is standing on the shoulders of giants. You are listening to Gathering the Kings with Chaz Wolf, featuring fellow seven, eight, and even nine figure business owners who have real battle scars from business and life, but have prevailed as the king that they are designed to be. We welcome high-performing entrepreneurs to the stage in order to reveal the real of the real on what it takes to build a successful business today. We dissect the good and bad decisions they've made along the way that give a true and accurate picture of the journey of success and how you too can get there. Through this dialogue, you will learn the value of growing your network and surrounding yourself with power players and kings like today's guest. Grab your pen and notebook because we're about to dive in. What's up, everybody? Chaz Wolf, Gathering the Kings podcast. I got Michael McLeish on the King stage today. My brother, how are you? Doing great, man. Thanks for having me on. I, it's a pleasure to have you on. Thank you for being here. And we were just reminiscing before the show started of your beard, but you're growing it back and not to be worried. It's coming, but you had this Zoom picture that popped up here that I was like, oh man, my, my bearded brother. But, uh, but you're growing it back. So I just am I'm thankful, beard or no beard, I'm thankful for you to be here. Good. I'm glad to be accepted either way. Yeah. <laughs> we don't make any discriminatory uh, marks here, beard or no beard. But in all seriousness, Michael, what kind of business do you have? What are we going to be chatting about? Yeah. So my, my primary business is wholesaling real estate. And for those of you who don't know what that means, is it's basically a sales and marketing company and solving people problems through the vehicle of single family homes. And to dive in a little deeper, what that means is we will market to homeowners that have a distressed property or maybe a distressed situation. And there's some analogies like a pawn shop, right? If somebody pawns something, they don't expect to get full value, but they need some money quickly. And so the model really follows that. We market for those types of people that actually are helped through selling their home and getting a speedy and convenient outcome from that. So from there, once we have an agreement to buy a property at a deep discount, we now have the option of buying it, keeping it as a rental, doing the traditional Chip and Joanna fix and flip, making it look all pretty and selling at retail, or we can sell the deal. We can sell the contract or the rights to buy the property to a third party. And so that's probably the primary exit strategy, but we do look at all three for every deal. Love that. <clears throat> Love that. And there's a there's value in each of those exit strategies. And so maybe we'll get into some of that a, a little bit. But I want to know at this level, you've got multiple different exit strategies. You've got a team. You've been doing this. You're successful. You're about to start a podcast. Why at this level do you push? Like, why are you still motivated? Why are you still after it? What's the bigger picture? I don't know. I just, it's, I'm just not satisfied. And I feel I'm in my infancy stage in a lot of ways. And I'm just getting started. And I really, quite honestly, didn't get into the real estate space to be a real estate guy. It was just the path I took to get me really, frankly, to not be broke. And yeah. just as a quick aside, like I got into the business again with this idea of financial freedom, but all I knew was don't be broke. So that was really the mantra for the first two years. And then you know, we did pretty well for the first few years. And then it was like, okay, really, where am I headed with this? What's my purpose? And some of that's still getting sorted out. So I want to continue to grow the company and make it better, but at the same time, use that as a tool, as a jumping 
point for the next venture, whatever that might look like. Yeah, I love it. I love what you said that you believe that you're, you know, in the infancy, just getting started. I think that there's a certain level of not only excitement that entrepreneurs carry with them, an optimistic hope, something better, something that's down the road, a future, something different, if you will. But I love what you said of just feeling like you're just getting off, especially at the level that you carry. It's like, okay, so I've been successful. And I feel this way as well. I feel like we're just getting rolling. Like, I feel like we're just just getting the momentum, which it is a direct battle with average, right? Because at a certain level, average thinks I made it. And so what's your mindset there around? Obviously, what you're doing is not average, but was this mindset that was built out over time? Was this established by a mentor? Like, how did you come to believe this? Oh, man, that's a, that's such a great question. I I think just deep down, normal makes my stomach turn average makes my stomach turn like i just i don't want to do that i don't and for whatever reason i just always knew i was going to fight that i'm trying to articulate that a little bit better and give you some examples here so here's just a weird quirk of mine but years ago i was trying i was in the air force i was active duty at the time and i was trying to figure out this whole fitness thing because clearly the air force's model was not going to their PT test wasn't going to get you in shape. It was, you could game the system and uh, pass the test. I knew I wanted to be in like some incredible level of fitness. And I tried all these things and I was getting injured. I wasn't getting great results. And a coworker of mine, this is like 2005 era here. And a coworker of mine who was in his late forties, he was like, man, I'm doing this CrossFit thing. And I was like, that sounds dumb. Who would do hundred reps of anything and do it fast. And he's like, man, just give it a try. And I, I watched a few videos and there wasn't much content in the world of CrossFit then. Right. And I was like, whatever these girls are smoking, I want some of that. So I went all in, I bought a whole bunch of equipment that was hard to find, started doing it. And it, it was so not normal right. that in my own mind, I just made it work. And I embraced that for several years that just, this isn't normal and this works. And I can yeah. say the same thing as far as my my spiritual beliefs are probably not normal compared to most of the world, but yeah. I'm drawn to it because of that, because the yeah. world says, no, that's silly. That's not normal. Yeah. That's so. a really good perspective because I think that a lot of people listening, at least to a degree in the entrepreneurial world, where there's a little bit of a chip on our shoulder, we think a little different, we're a disruptor, we challenge things, we ask questions when we shouldn't. There's always this back and forth. I think that the principle of what you're describing causes in us. <laughs> As entrepreneurs, that's why we that's why we run a business. We like to solve problems. We like to attack new challenges, and so <clears throat> I, I love the perspective. It, it, it fires me up just to know that there's another person out there that's as crazy as I am. You know, trying new things or being challenged by maybe status quo and going no, yeah, just no. <laughs> yeah, it's like when your doctors you go to your doctor and they're like oh, I got a stomach ache and my heart just kind of doesn't feel right. Because when you're out of shape and you might have some heart issues, but don't worry, it's normal. No, I'm better than that. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I got to hurry up quick and throw on the brakes when average or normal, those words, it's like, no, I got to run far away from that. Okay. Let's use this to parlay into your story. Like how did you get into real estate or was there a business before that? Was entrepreneurialism in your family? How did you come to be? Oh yeah, that's great. I didn't realize it, but I actually grew up in an entrepreneurial family, but we we're on a family farm in North Dakota. My dad was an entrepreneur. Exactly. Yeah, I did, it didn't occur to me until I was, I think, mid-30s that farming is an entrepreneurial <laughs> venture. Yeah. But what's interesting about that is my dad's generation really came from, like, find a great job, 
work that career, work it to the top. My mom is a right. perfect example of that. She, and a perfect example of why that might not work anymore. She worked for um, TWA Airlines oh, wow. and that all went sideways and she got ultimately furloughed for a while and then went to American and then they just said, yeah, thanks, but now you're the bottom rung after 30 years of flying and we're just gonna yeah, let you go. Exactly. And so I saw what dad was saying and what their generation was saying was what you should do. That was a little bit ingrained in me. And he struggled, I think, mentally with the farming end of things. It was some tough years in the eighties with our yeah. climate. So I just went down the, I'm going to work my butt off in school. I'm going to get the best grades possible. I'm going to be top of the class. I'm going to graduate with honors, which I did in high school and in college and went active duty into the air force. And Wow. It wasn't long though into that real career when just something was bothering me and it just didn't feel right. I didn't, I didn't like that. A lot of my roles just were like, I was just getting paid to keep a seat warm. And I was like, this is not, right. this is not what my life is all about. Fast forward a few years, I did get out of the air force and I was like, what am I going to do? Nothing really gets me excited. I don't really want to do this kind of work. I was an engineer in training and I started my first company, CrossFit. Again, I didn't expect to be talking about that so much today, but that was my first yeah. uh, business. We started what was then CrossFit on the coast. And I think there was, I don't know, I want to say there was less than 500 CrossFit affiliate gyms in the country at that time. Like we were pretty wow. new to that area. It was great. But again, this was 2005, 2006 in the panhandle. It was not the best economy. We never took a distribution out of the business and I got married and my wife said, Hey honey, we actually need some income here. You need we to actually need to live. So, yeah. <laughs> Can I eat? Can I go to the grocery yeah. store? <laughs> I, my first business really in a lot of ways, I hate to use the word failure, but it didn't pan out and set me free and all these things. Right. And I went back to work for the man. I worked for the government as a civil servant for another several few years. And really the, what shook me from that was my first son was born. And there's a picture of me. He was three weeks old. We flew to California to my in-laws. I'm taking a nap with my arm around him. And right next to the pillow is Rich Dad. So I read Rich uh, Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. Yeah. And that was really the catalyst because I was seeking like financial freedom. I wanted that. I started to read books about it. And that really started the juices flowing. And as soon as we got back to Colorado, we were living in Colorado Springs at the time also. I went to an investing club meeting. And just what's this all about? I got to do something. Yeah. And that's where I learned the concept of wholesaling and uh, long, lots of water under the bridge. I finally went full-time in the fall of 2016. Is that right? Wow. Yeah. So that's a whole other crazy story I can tell you. If we get to yeah. That. Yeah. yeah. Obviously the journey to get there. I love how you pointed out to your, that your dad being a farm, you growing up in that environment is a whole lot more entrepreneurial than, than a lot of times people see, but man, you want to talk about the tough of the tough, like the original entrepreneurs, yeah. you grow this, I grow that. And we swap even before your dad, even I just appreciate that journey. I want to know now that obviously you transitioned into this and you said you went full-time in 2016. What was that tipping point for you at that time to go full-time? And then I want you to parlay it right into, did that make a difference? Was it an all-in mindset or was like to where you are now? Yeah. Oh man. So these were the craziest times and the biggest act of faith that I think I've <laughs> pulled off in my life. Because for me, at where I was mentally at that time, it was a humongous, what I thought was a humongous risk. And now I'm just, why didn't I do it sooner? You know, is what yeah. I think. So what that looked like though, was I'm trying to think 2014, I think mid-year I did my first wholesale deal. 
Okay. And it was a messy, ugly, drawn out deal. And I did another one in one or two shortly after that. And it was like one to three deals a year. And I was working full time. It actually took a different job within the civil service that allowed me, as long as I did my core job, I could work from home and telework the rest of the time and be on call. Yeah. And so I took that with the mindset of, okay, if I'm not absolutely needed at work, I've accomplished what I'm paid to do. I can use that extra time to work on building this business. Yeah. So it was a little bit of a four hour work week kind of hack. Yeah. And, exactly. but at the same time, I was just not getting a lot of traction. I don't think I believed in myself enough. So I put a lot of work in, but it wasn't necessarily the most productive. I did a handful of deals. I tried another methodology of remote wholesaling. I was flipping houses in Tampa when I lived in Denver at the time. Yeah. And one day though, really the tipping point was my wife came to me and said, we've got, we've got our three-year-old, we've got a baby on the way and you need to work full-time and love it, or you need to quit it and go real estate full-time. And you don't get to do both anymore because I was up at four in the morning and I was in bed at 10, 11 o'clock at night and just yeah. absent with my family. Yeah. So my wife really was the catalyst to throw me off the cliff and let's go. So I said, look, if you've got my back, you trust me. We've got proof of concept. I believe in this. Let's go. Here's where it got crazy though, is we put our house on the market and we're in Littleton, Colorado, and we didn't, we couldn't afford to stay there. I didn't have any cash, like any liquid cash to live on, much less do marketing. So we had to move. So I had a hundred thousand dollars in equity in the house. So okay. we put the house up for sale. And we said, where should we move? We need somewhere a little less expensive to live. We have some friends in Greenville, South Carolina that said we should come visit. Let's just look online. The market looks pretty good in real estate. Let's just move there. I was like, I can wear sandals most of the year. Let's do it. (laughs) So I'd never been there, never had been there. And we um, put a house under contract. I flew out down there to do the inspection with it. It all checked out. And then it was go time. We sold our house. I quit my career. Yeah. I fired my boss. And we bought a house, moved across the country and started a new business in a market that I've never been in before, all in about 120 days. Wow. So that was the leap of faith, the burn the ships moment that was scary, but I don't know that me personally, I could have done it any other way because it forced my hand. Like now it's up to me. There's no help. There's no safety net. There's no, like in in government service, you can screw up pretty big and not lose your job. So for me, that was tremendous. And that was really the moment was like, I'm all in. Yeah. The catalyst really. I loved how you described the moments there. A lot of uncertainty, a lot of, I loved how you said, do you trust me? Do you, will you support me through this craziness? And you're not the first person to be on the show. Even in my own story, I can point to Julie, my wife and both things that you said. Number one, her challenging me going, hey champ, I need you to be involved in the family. Number two is I trust you. I know that if you just, if you'll just go for it, we're here, we'll cheer you on and we believe in you. And that sounds, it sounds so simple, but to your point, to my point here, it's man, that was all the fuel that I even had. It's all that I needed for at least that period of time. I could have driven for miles and miles on that fuel. And I still, I try to tell her today. I'm like, look, all you got to do is tell me like, not like how great I am, but man, I, thank you. I appreciate it. I love you. We, we believe in you. For me, I don't, maybe you can resonate with this, but that'll just fill up the tank yeah, for, for weeks 100%. and weeks and week. Kim and I had a talk just a few months ago about you know, that season. And, and I was like, 
did you have any, I was like, I was so scared and, and we were this close to Addie going to work for McDonald's and like, it was that first year was rough. And she's like, she goes, I trusted you. And I didn't worry about money because I knew you could do it. And I was yeah. like, holy cow, like that was just everything. Um, it's big. Yeah. I love that. Okay. Let's get tactical here. Tell me about a good decision. So you moved to South Carolina. You've never been there. You're brand new. You've done a couple of wholesales. There's a proof of concept. You're, you have the trust of your family. Give me a good decision that you made once moving there that you can look back on and the decision that you can share here today. That's not maybe the exact reason why you're successful, but it was a huge part of it. Yeah. I, what comes to mind there, and I think this is the most appropriate answer for that is I'll give you a little backstory to this in that I was boots on the ground, I think October for, and it took us a month to unpack everything and get moved in and kind of get the lay of the land and all that. And in November I started marketing and I had taken all these different like guru courses and, and I was trying to mix and match. And I was trying to do all these different things and spread a wide net. Yeah. And by the end of January of that next year, I was like, I don't even have a solid lead. Wow. I'm on this arranging deck chairs on the Titanic here. I wow. really was feeling like, I don't know where I'm going. I didn't have that much money. I probably told myself I had less than I really had, but it, okay. I could see it draining every month without an end. So what I did was I, there was actually, again, to give credit to podcasting, there was a podcast I was listening to, and I knew some of these people that were getting these results from this coach. And I'm like, that is incredible. And so I finally came to the point where I can figure it out myself, maybe, right. or yeah. I can hire the best person I can afford, or maybe yeah. not even afford, but I'm going to hire him anyway. <laughs> and I'm going to go down with the best arsenal of tools I can have. Yeah. Right. So I was like, let's go for it. So I hired him. So I'll give credit. This is Tom Kroll with Wholesaling Inc. And Tom has since sold the company, but he was my coach. So again, the, so the answer, the short answer is hiring a coach yeah. that knows how to get you from point A to B the most efficiently. Yeah. Yeah. It, super. Yeah. He was able to give you the blue, the blueprints, the, and then obviously underneath that being coachable and just having a desire. What do you think? So for the person listening right now, I can, I'm trying to relate this to my own story as well. What I have found the difficulty in doing what you just said that you did is maybe the pain isn't great enough, right? Like we're pretty sharp guys, even though the business isn't like super big yet, we're going back years. It's, uh, how can I really learn from that guy? Or maybe I can do it on my own. You understand what I'm saying? Like a little bit of ego, yeah. right? Yeah. So I, did something happen for you or was there an ego check moment or was it just like the pain was just so bad where you're just like, okay. I'm not going to lose all my money. I am going to lose. All. I'm going to give it to this guy and hopefully he can help me get there. What was that moment? Yeah. Oh man. I don't know how to answer that. It was a blessing and a curse because there's a lot of people that will say, you don't need to hire a coach. Everything's on YouTube. All the information in this day and age is out there. Just go do it. Yeah. And that works for some people. I'm just not one of them. I honestly think one of my earlier flaws in life was uh, I needed more. I needed somebody in my corner and I needed somebody to validate and yeah. keep me on track. And yeah. as an even mature entrepreneurs, if you can say such a thing, love the shiny objects. I want some of this and some of this. And they really need somebody in their life to say, pick one path, master it before you do the next thing. And I recognize that in myself of like, I, I just, I one maybe not the validation piece, but I do need a path. Like instead of reinventing the wheel myself, I don't need that ego boost. I just don't want to be broke. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, because so. what we're talking about is a greater or lesser desire. Your desire to not be broke was greater than your ego in that moment of figuring yeah, it out on 100%. your own. Okay, yeah. good. What about a bad choice? Let's flip the coin here. What did you do? What was the dirty moment? Mm. What I was thinking was is actually the opposite of that. Was what led me to that precipice. I've got to I've got to spend more money, put it on my credit card than I have, because I'm trying to do everything. I'm trying to take this guru's idea on, for example, wholesaling lease options. And I'm going to do creative financing here. And I took a course on how to buy houses subject to the existing financing, meaning I'm buying somebody else's house and keeping their name on the loan. There's all, there's a billion ways to skin the cat. And again, I just was trying to do all of it. And I guess where I didn't quite learn that lesson early on was in marketing. I tried I'm going to do a little direct mail. I'm going to do a little cold calling. I'm going to throw out some bandit signs. I'm going to whatever. I'm going to, I'm going to go spend an hour in front of the grocery store talking to people, trying to do all these different marketing strategies when not one single marketing strategy was consistent or dialed in. And so I think where I was wrong, again, just the inconsistency in coaching, inconsistency in exit strategies, inconsistency in marketing, all those things were just the perfect storm to failure. Yeah. And I've fortunately caught it before it completely bottom dropped out. Yeah. I think every entrepreneur goes through this. I have even a partner of mine in one of my real estate companies, we we've got a little bit of a delay on his specific focus on the business just due to other projects that need to get done first. And his immediate thought was, okay, great. No worries. I'll go do this other thing over here that will just allow me to be self-sustaining. He was just thinking partner, I don't want to be a burden while this piece is not good. But the reality of it is that he could jump in <laughs> over here and keep us all like dialed in and focused. I know that's a, a, like a little bit of a secure example, but what you're saying is that don't reach for the shiny objects, although it's super exciting. We hear this over and over again, but this is a yeah. live example of not only just the idea, your product. So you already even said that at the beginning, you said, I can do all these exit strategies, but mostly I do one. And then now even in your marketing. So do you find in one channel of marketing has really been your go-to more than others? It's flip-flopped around. And I guess that's when, as you grow and mature in your marketing strategies, particularly, well, I can speak from the real estate perspective of what I've done. I started, so this is where the coach stepped in. I actually, to give you some history, I was doing just do direct mail. You're going to only do direct mail. And based on your budget, this is how you should lay it out. So I did that. And I just spent all this money on direct mail. And there was actually another moment in there where things went sideways. I wasn't closing. And as a coach, he stepped in and just, and kind of, I understand now why he did it, but he shook me up. He's Mike, you're done. You're fired from your market and you are going to remote wholesale and pick one of these three markets in other parts of the country. And, and you're now going to be cold calling only. So completely kicked me out yeah. of what I was doing, shook it up and said, now you're focused on this and you choose this, go. So what was interesting was I had leads from the direct mail and all of a sudden a couple started to pop and I closed a couple deals. Yeah. And I said, look, I uh, accidentally just closed a couple deals. Do I need to still shift markets? He goes, nope, you now believe that it works. And I was like, I do. So it was a magic moment there, but I had already shifted into cold calling. So he's like, stick with that. Yeah. So I got really good at cold calling. And I did that until I was hiring people. Now I could hire cold callers. I think I hired at 1.2. And 
now the leads were coming in without me doing it. Right. The leads were coming consistently. And now I could look at other marketing options because I didn't need to worry about that not happening sure. based on my mood or whatever. The big thing when entrepreneurs start is they say, I've got this much for marketing and they spend it all. And they're like, oh, I'm a little scared. I don't want to spend any more. And the marketing drops off and yeah. picks up and they're on this swing and they don't see the results. And so they're constantly chasing results compared to their marketing lag. Now, so I switched into direct mail, started doing that, getting good at that. And what happened actually in 2020 was we we're still, most of our revenue was from cold calling. In 2021, it actually swapped. Direct mail now was king. We were actually producing more revenue from from direct mail than cold calling. And that's wow. been consistent. And so if I even started with direct mail, right where I'm at now, I have enough leads. I don't need anymore. I don't need to add a cold calling system because we, the leads will be wasted. And, and there's, there's extra overhead with managing that, that, that side yeah. of things. So, yeah. so you max out one and then you're like, okay, I've got overhead. I have a need for more leads. I have a need for more revenue. Now you can add on that next marketing strategy. Yeah. I love dialing in like that, what you're saying and not moving on until there's certain either revenue necessity or revenue generation, depending upon what the target of the campaign is. Even right before that, you said this, and this has come up recently in the Gathering the Kings mastermind. We were comparing how much you spend on marketing and your different businesses across the, not all of them are real estate, of course. And there's a general range that you spend, but the question that had come up that you just said is, man, if you just play the game of, okay, things are going well, I want to market more and things are not going well. So I'm going to, I'm going to hold back. Generally speaking, marketing is a consistency game. It's a, it's an awareness game. And so you just need to be there all the time, whether times are good or times are bad. And usually it's when times are bad or when, you know, your competitors are retracting and that's when you need to stay consistent. If not, double down, which is so difficult in the moment because man, it's a, it's a little scary. It's a little bit unnerving. And, but what I just heard you say is the same thing that we were just discussing, which is look, if anything, you just got to stay consistent. You want to add anything yeah. to that? That's a lesson I keep learning over and over again. It's an emotional one, right? Like in the moment you're going, yeah. you can see it going down. You're going, yeah. ah, yeah, yeah, it really is. I don't know that I can add It's again, it's the consistency in your exit strategy, consistency in your niche, your exit strategy, marketing and just being really because everybody's going to come up hey here's a webinar on this new shiny strategy that you need to be implementing today oh that sounds great and now you risk consistency and the other thing unless it's really dialed in and it happens i think joe mccall i used to listen to him a lot like marketing should happen for you in spite of you right if you can get your channel set up so marketing happens for you in spite of you now you can look and entertain these other things yeah. Love that perspective. Yeah. That's good. What process or maybe discipline do you have now? We've talked about your good and bad one from the past. How do you process decisions now? It, it's, I'm trying to, I still feel like a baby entrepreneur in a lot of ways and still learning some hard lessons, but I'm trying to now use KPIs and metrics instead of like how I feel about things. And maybe I should have said this was my big mistake recently was operating from one bank account and saying, I see a big pile of money in there. Why don't we go spend money on this new endeavor? Or right. why don't I take a big distribution out and buy this thing that I want for my personal life? And what I've learned over just this last year is really being consistent, putting things into like well, profit first really spoke yeah. to me. So I've implemented that. And again, that's just helped me be more consistent in this much money always goes and distributes into each of these pots. 
And now I can make decisions based on what's in my operating expense account versus my gut feeling behind it. Cause you eventually you get big enough, your gut's wrong because yeah. there's just yeah. too many pieces to keep track of. Exactly. And so now, you know, it's, I can use more data and Mark Evans, my, my mentor says more data, not drama. Right. So right. now I can make decisions based on KPIs, based on the correct bank account and to go from there. So again, just being more methodical behind how we process things. Love it. Okay. I'm going to go ahead and switch over to the speed round here. My first question to you is dwindling the entire business down. If you could only pick one metric to track forever and ever, what would you choose? Oof, that is such a good question. I don't know how well this would work, but if I had to pick one, I would say meaningful conversations. Okay. Yeah. Because that's in my industry, it's sales and marketing. And there's a lot of variables that go into that. You don't spend any marketing. You're probably not going to have any leads. But at the end of the day, what you're looking for is how many people are we talking to in in a meaningful way? So for us, meaningful conversations is for a seller lead is, are we moving forward together and what's the next step? Or are we not a good fit? It's very clear. It's concise. And we know one way or the other, we've had that conversation. We're moving forward or not. And from a high level, if you've got a certain number of those the business is either on track to hit targets or behind measurement, something like that, right? Yep. The more people you talk to, the luckier you get. So. <laughs> I love that. Yep. Okay. What book would you recommend that a six-figure business owner read, Michael? Oh, man. What book? You, you mentioned Profit First. You mentioned Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Anything yeah. other than that? Oh, man. I think this is probably one of my favorite books that, that comes up a lot in conversations. And it's called Die With Zero. I don't know if you've read that one and I have all of a sudden the, the author is escaping That's my brain okay. here. We'll, we'll look it up and but, put it in the show notes. Yeah, it's an amazing book. I think a high level entrepreneur should read it. And I think a high school graduate should read it and probably every year in between That's awesome. because it really helps you prioritize what all this energy that you're putting into a business is for and using it at the appropriate time in your life for what serves you. So I think that's a, that was a game changer book for me. Great. And give me the title. Excuse me, give me a title one more time. It's called Dive with Zero. Dive with Zero. Perfect. Okay. You've already mentioned coaches. You've mentioned, I can't remember if it was on the show or before we got started, a mastermind group that you're a part of. My question normally is, what do you think about intentionally networking or masterminding? But I'm going to twist it a little, little bit since I already obviously think that or know that you do these things and find value in them. What would you say to the listener today who maybe doesn't do those things yet, maybe knows that he or she should, or maybe doesn't know that he or she should. What would you say about intentionally networking or masterminding as a not yet seven-figure owner? Ooh, that's a good one. I think you have to maybe go back and a little bit introspective and ask yourself, what if I did network? What's, what am I afraid of, right? What's my fear that's keeping me? If I know this is something I should do, what's the fear that is really driving that? If you, Spend a little time, look on YouTube, find like Tim Ferriss or TED Talk on fear setting. Wonderful exercise to really go back and, okay, if I do this thing and it fails, here's the outcome and here's how I can recover. And what's the odds of that? And then what if I do the thing and it's a success? What does that look like? And what's the odds of that? And you're going to paint yourself a pretty clear picture of what you should do. So I think just, again, really looking at what's, what are you looking for? What do you want out of this? potential opportunity? What are you trying to build or grow? Who has the answers to help you get there? And I'm a big believer that as an entrepreneur, that a big, any real truly successful 
entrepreneur is standing on the shoulders of giants. They need yeah. people. They need to network with others. They need to build a community to support yeah. them and have great people working for them and also great mentors to lift them up. So I think, it's, again, if you're hesitant to do that, it's something you need to take some time and really understand your reasoning behind it and then come to a clear conclusion. Maybe this isn't for me and I need to go the other thing and, and you'll know. Yeah, I love that uh, methodical, rational approach. Last question here for you. If you lost it all, Michael, what would you do? Ooh, I think about this sometimes, but never had been asked directly. I lost it all. This just really piggybacks, piggybacks on your last question. And I still have a network. I have also, you can't really lose it all. If I was a prisoner of war, I still have knowledge and lessons learned in my mind, in my brain, in terms of how to interact with people, how to negotiate, like just various different things. But in a more like, I just screwed up and I lost all my money since I'd go to my network and say, hey, you and I connected, you know my values, I know yours. This is what I want to do next. Where can we work together? And again, just starting to talk to people. Again, if I'm going to, I'm going to pick my path and just start picking up the phone, be in the streets, talking to people and using my network to help me magnify the, that effort that I have to do on the day-to-day. Love it. Michael, you've been incredible. How can a listener find you? Whether they're in the local area, whether they're, they just want to reach across the country and get to know another bearded fellow, what, how can they find you? Yeah, perfect. Probably the easiest place to find me right now on social media is just Michael McLeish Official. And it's the same on Instagram, Michael McLeish Official. You'll find me there. And my profile picture still has the beard. So if you want to see what Chaz is talking about, get on there and find it. And you have a podcast coming out. Tell us, just give us 15 seconds on the podcast. Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, it's called Expanding Boundaries. And it's, I don't really have a set agenda other than sharing my journey of where I've been in terms of, there, there's just been like big monumental mindset shifts. Some are smaller, some are bigger than others as I've grown in this journey. And so I want to share some of those stories. It's going to be largely interview-based with former mentors, coaches I've worked with, other people in business that had big aha, game-changing mental shifts. And again, my goal is also to have people that I'm looking up to that can help me grow and also share in that, that education, if you will, and help the audience grow. So again, that's what it's all about. I'm really big on travel, camping, particularly outdoors, and we're building this ridiculous sprinter van or like the, the whole idea of expanding boundaries and traveling beyond yeah. where it really resonates with me. So that's, yeah. that's what it's all about. Maybe you'll do the podcast from your mobile unit. Oh yeah. Uh, once you have the sprinter van ready to roll. Absolutely. Michael, you've been incredible. Your mindset is on point. Thank you for sharing your time. Nothing but blessing to you, your family, your new sprinter, expounding boundaries physically, obviously on the podcast as well. But again, just thank you for being here. Okay. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much for having me on today. It's a lot yeah. of fun. Thanks for listening to Gathering the Kings. We hope you got a ton of value today and learned a thing or two about taking your business to seven figures and beyond. If you desire more and want a community around you to help you get there, I want you to go to gatheringthekings.com. That's gatheringthekings.com. And I want you to apply for our next Becoming a King 90-Day Intensive. We are extremely exclusive by nature as a group. What that means is that we're really wanting only the entrepreneurs who take their business and targets super serious to apply. So if that's you, you think you got what it takes to level up your business, I want you to go to gatheringthekings.com and apply. And we will see you on the other side.